HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Support comes from the Pennsylvania Hemp Summit, November 14th and 15th, convening hemp industry stakeholders to learn, connect, and grow. Details at pahempsummit.com. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here. And we just went out to Cider Days in Franklin County in Western Mass. And I got to meet a lot of folks with a lot of standing and, and, and passion for the hard cider industry. Um, and, and one of them is joining with me today, um, Steve. I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, to say your name and, and where you work and everything. Uh, I'm Steve Garwood. Uh, we have, uh, my daughter and I run a small cidery in uh, West Brookfield, Massachusetts. Um, we're uh, uh, located uh, uh, not too far from, uh, from Amherst, a little bit, uh, little bit east of Amherst. And uh, we, we grow apples and make cider. Um, I've been making cider for, for many years. I started drinking cider when I was a teenager. We used to have a cider mill here in in our town, and uh, farmers used to take their apples apples there. And uh, uh, when we worked on the dairy farms, the farmers would sometimes give us a drink of the cider that they had in their basement. Um, so I've uh, uh, I have a, a lot of uh, sense memory of uh, of. Uh, old ciders uh, fermented in in whiskey barrels and uh, something that I I try to uh, try to try to bring to my ciders is is that uh, that feeling and those uh, those sense memories wow well let, let, let's go way back so you, you you've got a starting point I, I remember it might have been 12 13 years ago a friend of mine owned a, the blind tiger bar in New York and every fall he was doing a Vermont vermont weekend and the, these kids at the time that were now we know them as fable farm cider they, they were just basically pressing all the gathered apples from all the trees around them and it was really tart putting it in barrels 
And it was the first time I had that kind of farm cider that had been made with the proper apples, really tart, but then aged for a year in the barrel. And, uh, and I don't know if that's how they make their the cider that they sell, but it really perked me up too. Um, what is that any different from from what what we're getting now? You know, uh, let's just reflect on how that those farmers used to make their cider and what you liked about it. How about that? Well, the, the, this is an old New England tradition: is to is to ferment the cider in in whiskey barrels. Whiskey barrels were were uh, always available, even in the old days. They're available now, uh, also, uh, especially now that uh, uh, whiskey has gotten so popular and uh, bourbon uh, bourbon whiskey, especially the barrels are only allowed to be used once by the distiller uh, for for bourbon, and then they when they're drained of their bourbon, they are the barrels get passed on um, uh, very traditionally. They they go to the they go to Scotland, and uh, uh, the the Scotch makers age their uh, Scotch whiskey in American oak uh, barrels, American oak bourbon barrels. But uh, even in the in the older days, pre-prohibition days, um, these uh, uh, American oak barrels were uh, were available. The uh, whiskey was taken from the barrels and bottled, and the and the distillers would discard the barrels. So they were they were cheap and plentiful, and that's what the farmers used to. Um, if a farmer had a few trees, almost every farmstead had a few apple trees here and there, or maybe even just uh, chance seedlings. But most farmers had had a few apple trees that they cultivated. And the small towns like ours in in, in Massachusetts uh, usually had a, a a local cider mill to, to press the press the apples. Everybody uh, had a, you took a little bit of cider, a little bit of apple juice, um, at either to drink fresh or to put in a barrel and and just let it go, let let it let it age. Whatever happens, uh, <laughs> whatever happens, let it happen. And uh, uh, as I say, that's the first cider that, that I had um, many years ago from a farm where I used to work. You know, Steve, that, that's a great intro to what Cider Days well, at least felt like to me. This was my first time there, Cider Days in Franklin County this past weekend. And there's that spirit of it, right? I know there's, there, there's been sessions about apples, but it, there is can people go to an event like Saturdays and, and get juice that they can then ferment? Uh, let's just talk about some of those kind of real hands-on experiences at Saturdays. Uh, well, yes. So some of the, some of, some of the local orchards press, uh, press apple juice to, especially to make available to uh, cider cider enthusiasts who come to cider days. So they'll often have uh, some different blends of, uh, of apples that, um, that people can experiment with and, and make their own cider. And yes, that's always kind of been a part of cider days is that people who are curious 
maybe never made cider before, there's usually some workshops and um, uh, some workshops at the at the orchards that that grow grow the apples. So you talked about foraged uh, apples uh, when uh, when you first uh, started. There are a lot of wild apples in our area because of the uh, Quabbin Reservoir. Um, in the 1930s, they, um, the uh, Boston Area Water Commission uh, built a big reservoir in central Massachusetts. And they, to build this reservoir, they abandoned five towns. And uh, so there are a lot of abandoned farmsteads around uh, in the central western Massachusetts area around the this this reservoir and um there's a, especially a guy named matt kaminsky who has uh, uh, kind of made a career of going around to these abandoned farmsteads and, and looking for apples both wild apples and also just old varieties that have just continued to grow in these uh in these farmsteads so foraging there in Foraging for apples is, is kind of a uh, cider days tradition also. And so, um, uh, uh, and, and to explore some of these uh, found apples and wild orchards, abandoned orchards and wild trees. And uh, uh, Matt and others bring these apples to cider days so that people can can see them and try them and see how different they are from the apples that you get in the grocery store. Yeah, no, that, that was really cool. I mean, I missed all of that, but I kept seeing the word pomological. I'm really glad we, we got to talk, Steve, because I, I, I saw you at uh, Headwater Cider, one of our favorites, had a really nice event with several cider makers, and uh, I got taste through your whole line, which... I haven't, I don't think I've ever tasted everything you made before. Um, let's talk about that event and how, how it, what, what it represented to you. Cause you, you said there used to be a, a bigger tasting events at, at Saturdays before the pandemic. Yes. So the cider salon, as they called it, was uh, one of the central features of cider days was usually on, um, on Saturday afternoon, and uh, there would be, uh, I don't know, at least 40 or 50 or, or more cideries represented there from uh, from all over the East. And um, everybody would bring would bring their stuff and people could people could taste as, as much as they want. The, there's a little bit of a problem with events that are that big that you can't taste everything. Uh, you know, you just, <laughs> you can't, you, you just can't make it. <laughs> you, you taste, uh, taste uh, uh, four or five or six uh, uh, cideries offerings and, and you're done. You know, they have to carry you out. But um, the event that uh, where I saw you this weekend was, was nice that there were basically, I think, four, four of us there, four cideries. And you could um, you, you could taste through everything, and there were there were a lot of contrasts. 
Um, our, our, uh, our approaches are different. Um, there was uh, cider of Spain was, was there with a number of different Spanish ciders, which go down a whole different, um, uh, a whole different world of taste profiles than, uh, than our typical New England ciders. And, and certainly the ciders that, that I make. Um, uh, so you could get a lot of interesting contrasts. Uh, but this, uh, the event this weekend was nice because it was smaller. At the, at the cider salon where there are just hundreds of people and, and tens of cider makers, um, you don't get to have intimate conversations with people. So uh, that this weekend was, was very nice. Yeah, the, the intimacy that I think that's something that's very neat about it. It's not just like a big city festival. Um, we got to go to a, a few places, including we went to West County, uh, met some friends. We got to taste through several of the West County ciders, and they had an oyster shucker from Wellfleet, Mass. Um, and then there was a great cider dinner on Saturday. Um, I'm not going to recap the whole the whole weekend, but I do want to highlight w where I was. And this the cider dinner was was it was women cider makers, including your daughter Anne, um, and some other friends like Louisa from Farnham Hill and Eleanor from Eden. And that was organized by Ria Wincaller of Cider Chat Podcast. Um, and that was pretty neat. I saw that's where I where I saw you and a few other folk, but. Um, I, I got, the, I got, the, I just want to say that I got the flavor of Saturdays and also being in that area, like Greenfield and those towns around it, and Shelburne Falls and a big shout out to our friend, Ron Sansone of Spoken Spy, uh, who really was motivating me to, to go out, to go out this year. Um, you know, when we, you started out talking about the, the, the old farmers and the way they made cider in your area. Um. I didn't even quite realize that the Connecticut River went through Massachusetts. Um, it how how much does that area define what New England is or New England cider? And let's say a little more about the the region that we were in. This like is it Central Massachusetts, Western Mass? Um, it it's quite different than anywhere else I've been in the Northeast. Yes, well, so the Connecticut Valley is um, kind of has its own its own cultural economy and uh, and its and its own history because uh, it's a lot like the Hudson River. People could travel up the Connecticut uh, River from from the ocean uh, all the way into central Vermont, and um, it's always been a, a, a center of, of industry and and culture uh, here in New England. The, the, the most of the apple growing uh, and, and, and cider making occurs in the highlands that are on either side of the Connecticut Valley. Um, the uh, uh, apples Apples don't don't particularly like the really fertile soils of the of the Connecticut Valley. They're good for other other things, and they're some of the most fertile soil in the world. Uh, but apples do like the the uplands and the hills uh, that where the elevation is higher, the temperatures are a little bit cooler. 
the soil is very is gravelly and well drained and uh, so where we were this weekend when we saw you Jimmy in uh, in Hawley Massachusetts is uh, is it, it's very very hilly it's different than than uh, than say Greenfield which is you know down in the down in the valley Greenfield and and uh, and Deerfield our cidery is actually on the east side of the uh, uh, of the highlands, uh, so we're on the east side of the Connecticut Valley, and uh, also in a very hilly uh, hilly area where we have our hill hilltop um, orchards, typically hilltop orchards, very well ventilated, breezy, well drained soil, and that's that's what uh, that's what apples really like. Yeah, we started that day yesterday. It was Sunday. We started in Greenfield, so it must have been the valley, and we drove up to, to Peter's Peter Mitchell's head, headwaters. And once we got to his property, it was like a it was a totally different climate. There yes. was a wind coming in and and light rain, and it got chilly. When in the morning in the valley, I I was wearing a shirt and a t shirt. Yes, it's a it's a its own microclimate, the the uplands here, um, and the um, as I say, that's where you find most of the most of the orchards in 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 our area. Uh, it's also, you know, if you you can draw a line that's about at the uh, 42, 43 degrees of latitude, and it goes through our area, upstate New York, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, and on out through uh, through Washington State. And that's where you find the very best uh, apple growing areas in, in North America. Yeah, that's really great. You know, the, the book that came out, I'm, I'm sure many listeners know it, but not everyone does. It was, I think, a year and a half ago now, it was an American cider. Uh, Dan Pucci was one of the writers. Uh, that, that was the first time I really read about some few different regions. Um, it was the first time it made me think more about New England as its own region. Um, let's let's talk about. So you grew up in 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 that area. What were the first steps that you took with your property? And did you have any uh, old cider trees on the property when you first went there? Or you're planting them now. Well, there are old apple trees just about everywhere <laughs> around here, but um, uh, but uh, no, our, I mean our trees are are intentionally planted. We do plant um, uh, we do plant our older cider varieties. We've been planting those for the past ten years or so. Um, we especially like. The Roxbury Russet apple, which is uh, an apple that originated in Massachusetts, um, supposedly the first apple variety to actually be named in in North America, uh, can, comes from Roxbury near Boston. Uh, it was for, first uh, uh, first written about or, or no, noted in the literature in the 1600s or early 1600s. It's a beautiful apple for cider. So these older apples, this was making good cider was one of the characteristics that that farmers wanted in in apples. So 
the best cider varieties are these old varieties that were particularly selected for, uh, for, for making great cider. So we kind of uh, try to specialize in the, in the older uh, cider varieties. Although I'll have to say we do use um, one newer variety that wasn't developed in New England. It's a California apple called a Wixen. And uh, uh, the Wixen has a wonderful pungent kind of, uh, kind of flavor and, and makes terrific cider. I, uh, I, uh, actually, I didn't. I, we sold out of it. I didn't have any left for you to taste on Sunday, Jimmy. But I, I'd really like you to taste that Wixen. And I also, I also noticed just bouncing around. I noticed there were two different cider makers at that event that had a, a quince. I don't know if it was quince blend or quince quince based cider. Yes. So uh, there's a lot of interest in in quince. Uh, quince has a has a some characteristics a a, a sharpness um, uh, almost a kind of a I'm going to say gingery uh, 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 sharpness uh, that uh, that makes an interesting cider. You can't use it just by itself, but blended with uh, with apple cider, uh, it has some. Uh, has some some nice characters to it. Unfortunately, quince are really hard to grow. They're slow growing. They're uh, susceptible to fire blight, like uh, apples. And uh, uh, people are are trying to grow it with some limited success uh, here here in in New England. Wow, it's it's, it's interesting. You know, when you, when you see. The trends, it's, it, that's, that shows me that it's a thriving industry <laughs> that people are, are trying. I, I had a Berkshire cider, um, and he had a really neat, he, he had a, it was called Community. It, it was a, a forage or community contributed for, foraged apple cider. And, it, and, and I want to talk about the different, um, not just styles of ciders, but by, by alcohol, by volume, because it seemed like even there's i always think of ciders as six percent just as a benchmark and um what makes the the ciders at the alcohol by volume kind of know about brewing beer but uh, you had a cider for 11 percent. you know i've seen ciders for eight and nine percent what's the difference in in making it but also is that just by design uh, well, yes. Yeah, so, so some people uh, add sugar. Um, you'd call it uh, chaptalization. Maybe that's what they call it in the wine business to try to uh, uh, maybe try, try to soften up the the idea that they're just uh, adding some different in, in ingredients in it. But um, uh, adding stuff to cider, it kind of is a, a New England tradition. Uh, the, the farmers used to add if raisins or brown sugar or molasses or what have you to their apple juice if they if they felt that the apples didn't have enough sugar to give them a, a, a good alcohol level. But uh, what we've found with uh, with some of these old apple apple varieties that they 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 have a lot of sugar in them. Up to uh, eighteen to twenty percent 
uh, sugar if you let them stay on the tree. So uh, typically an apple that you would buy at, at the store is maybe 11 or 12% sugar. And uh, it might, you know, might taste pretty sweet. So the amount of sugar that you, that you have in an apple is, is what ends up making the alcohol. The sugar makes the alcohol. If you have a, an apple at 12% uh, sugar, you're going to get about 6% of it in, in, in the alcohol. So it tends to be, as you say, sort of a, a, a benchmark. Most apples are around 12% sugar, but uh, we find that some of these old uh, varieties have, as I say, 18, 20% sugar, so you can get up to, you can get up to 10, 11% alcohol sometimes with them. And uh, we, 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 like, we like to do that. <laughs> uh, you get something that's, uh, uh, that's very, very, very fragrant, very spiritous, um, uh, and and really gets in in a different category of uh, taste sensation than a than a cider at five or six percent. Yeah, no, and I, I I love cider. I've been lucky to to at least have been around it since 2011 uh, when the the first New York Cider Week started. Um, but yeah, I I wanted to talk about your eleven percent cider, the flora, because it it was served at the cider dinner, I, and I, we can also talk about pairings because um, I, I feel like pairings for all types of beverages, food and drink pairings, kind of have fads and they and they come and go. Uh, one fault of m many of the the basic ciders that people get is sometimes that alcohol level is doesn't stand up to food. Um, but you had an eleven percent floor, and let's just talk about that that cider, kind of start to finish, just to give everyone a sense of, of what it is. Because w w when I had the dinner the other night, I thought, "Wow, this this could fill what like a, a Chardonnay does, or you know, a, 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 any other fuller body drink, and, and match up well with the, with the grilled veal chop or or smoked salmon or something." Yes, well, one of my uh, projects or, you know, something that I'm always thinking about in, in cider is to, um, uh, how to, how to get a nice big mouthfeel in, in ciders and that, uh, flora, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a place for a cider that is, is more, um, milder, uh, light, um, uh, like a like a, a prosecco, um, uh, but the uh, the flora was an attempt to get at this at a big mouthfeel, like not just like a white wine, but by uh, uh, like a white wine that has a, a a lot of character to it, like a vonier or um, uh, you know something that that. Uh, as you say, it can really stand up to to food, and uh, it can give you a lot of pleasure in, in, in a lot of different situations. So the flora uh, is a it's a blend uh, of ciders. It's not just uh, it's not just one apple. It's some of our traditional heirloom varieties plus uh, some ciders from our uh, from our 
other apples. Um, and uh, it, it was uh, aged for a while. In other words, we often don't just make it as fast as we can. Uh, we, we like to let it sit either in a barrel or a tank and, and mature and let the, let the flavors um, uh, mature is, 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 is the best word for it. If a cider has a lot of, uh, a lot of flavor, uh, a big mouth feel like wine, it, uh, and, and, uh, good, uh, acid, uh, a good foundational foundation of, of acid. Uh, it needs to sit for a while for everything to meld and mature, and it tends to soften a little bit. One of the great things about cider, uh, as compared to wine, cider is, is, has malic acid in it. Wine has a, has a little bit of malic acid, has a little bit of citric acid, has a little bit of tartaric acid. But Apples are pure malic acid, and the malic acid is what gives cider its particular characters. Uh, and the malic acid tends to soften a little bit um, over time. It can be a little bit too sharp when, when the cider is first made. Um, and, but if you give it some time, uh, it, it, uh, it, it mellows, uh, mellows beautifully. So. The flora uh, is, a, is a, a cider that was made slowly, started off with even more flavor impact than it has now, but um, mellowed uh, over time. Um, I guess that, that's, that's one of the ingredients. Time is an important, uh, important ingredient in making a, making a fine cider. No, that that's that's really great intro. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's just about you have to. I think it's one more reason to say you have to go to events like the Cider Days or even our we have upcoming Cider Feast events. Um, you really have to taste w with with the cider makers and and really have the chance to experience it because I think outside the box um, you don't get not not in most places. I don't think you really get a chance to taste real ciders. Um, also want to give a shout out before we take our break, just to for beer. Uh, when we were in Greenfield, Massachusetts, we ended up having lunch at at the People's Pint, which I've heard of, and I knew that they were a supporter of local ag and local malts uh, for a while. I had their simple, their 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 basic IPA, which was really right on. It 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 it, it definitely wasn't too hoppy, but it had the right hops. It it wasn't hazy. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to going back to the People's Pint in Greenfield and uh, try more of their beers. So big shout-out to them. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Thank you. Support comes from the Pennsylvania Hemp Summit. Join us for the Pennsylvania Hemp Summit trade show and reception at the Farm Show Complex in Harrisburg on November 14th and 15th. 
Connect with industry stakeholders and grow the industry together through our 2023 industry planning sessions, industry and legislature panel discussions, success story sharing, professional development workshops, and a research showcase. Register to attend or get involved by exhibiting or sponsoring. Details at pahempsummit.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Support us, become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. Well, I got to spend the weekend up in uh, western Massachusetts at Franklin County Cider Days. I've been heard about it for years, and then my friend Ron Sansone, a spoken spy, really encouraged me to go up this year. And um, got to got to meet with Steve Garwood, who I've known for a couple years of Ragged Hill Cider in West Brookfield, Massachusetts, and, and he's on with us. So we're starting to talk more about his ciders. We just talked about Flora and 11% cider. Um, you guys also, you 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 released a, a couple new ciders at, at Cider Days. One of them was a Pet Nat. Um, I think that those of us who like natural wine, you know, Pet Nat's definitely a trendy, um, you know, type of wine. But what's Pet Nat cider and... I mean, it, it sounds great to me. Uh, yeah, so several of our ciders are, are what you would call Pet Nat or Ancestral style, they, they say in France. Um, the idea behind these ciders and, and wines is that they're put in the bottle before they completely finish their fermentation. And then uh, uh, they're put in the bottle... Uh, sealed up with a cap or a cork, and uh, they finish uh, their fermentation under seal, and that develops the bubbles uh, in uh, in the cider. Uh, you can also um, uh, some people like to uh, add. Um, maybe add some fresh fresh juice or something that will produce a little bit uh, a, a little bit more bubbles uh, at that point. But um, uh, the idea is that then the some yeast uh, remains in in the bottle. Now making champagne is a is a somewhat similar process, but with champagne they uh, they do what's called disgorging the bottle. They actually get the yeast out of the bottle, and then uh, you have a, a product that pours very that pours very clear and um, doesn't have any doesn't have any residual use, yeast in it. A pet gnat uh, is going to have yeast at the bottom of the bottle. So your first glass that you pour will be nice and clear. But then if, if you rock the b bottle back and then pour it again, the, uh, you're going to start getting a little bit of cloudiness, a little bit of yeast coming up from the bottom of the bottle. But that adds a whole other um, layer of, of flavor and um, can, can actually help to really bring out uh, the fruitier flavors in, in, uh, in, in a cider. So... We do several pet gnats. We do a, a Baldwin, uh, a Wixen. Uh, the Flora is actually a pet gnat uh, also. 
it's very hard to control the amount of sugar that you have in the bottle when you make a pet nat. So you'll tend to find a lot of variation in the in the level of sparkle that's in the bottle. Sometimes it'll be a lot. Sometimes it it, it won't uh, won't won't be that much. The floor is very lightly uh, pétillant, as the as the French say. Um, whereas some of our other ciders have have uh, have have more bubbles in them. In beer, you would call it uh, bottle conditioned. Same idea. Yes. yes. So so same same idea. Um, but um, once again, you're talking about it, it. It's it's helping with the mouthfeel. Yes. And it, it does. It takes a little more time too, doesn't it? Yes, it takes time. So after you close it up, you're you're going to want to uh, give it at, at the very least another three or four months to develop. Um, the the uh, the carbonation doesn't develop quickly in in cider. You know, the, it's uh, at that point it's a stressful environment for the yeast, and uh, the cider doesn't have much nutrients left in it. And sometimes we even have to help it along, put a little bit more yeast, uh, uh, put a yeast starter in, into the cider at that point. Um, but so at least another three months. Uh, I, I prefer six months. And actually, if it's a if it's a good cider, if you have a good uh, a good structure to it, a good structure of acids and tannins, uh, it's just going to improve. Uh, in, in the bottle, the longer the longer it's in there. Wow. Um, just back to the industry, you know, uh, one thing I like about Saturdays also is it's there's a lot of industry people there, but they're talking about apples <laughs> and they're giving away juice that people can make their own cider with and they're tasting. I, I don't feel like there's a, it, it definitely feels like there's a lot of indie players and that's something I, I like a lot about about the hard cider scene. Yes, I think that's and that's very typical of our New England cider makers. Uh, a lot of us are very small. Um, New England, uh, the you know farming in New England takes place on small small hilly farms where we don't have a lot of huge open country where we have mat, you know massive orchards even it's even different than new york state where uh, apples are are grown on uh, limestone soil it's very flat uh, the limestone is well drained but it's uh, a different soil profile than we have in our hills hills hilltop uh, orchards here here in new england so yeah a lot of us are very small uh, we tend to, uh, I believe that we're developing a, a typically New England style. Uh, our, our ciders taste different than uh, uh, ciders that, that you uh, see in the Pacific Northwest, let's say, or, or California. Um, the, the, they're, they're very different um, flavor profiles. They're, uh, it's because of the different varieties of apples, and it's because of the different temperatures that um, um, most of us cider makers aren't hugely sophisticated. We don't have big, big uh, temperature-controlled tanks. We're we're fermenting at ambient temperatures, 
and that makes a difference style-wise. Um, I'd love to do a tasting uh, uh, with some of my favorite California uh, California ciders versus our our New England ciders, and really demonstrate to people the different taste profiles that that we're getting. So we're gradually uh, as the cider industry is uh, is maturing, moving forward. We're we're starting to evolve some very definite regional styles. That that's really interesting, um, and that that did that that did stand out to me that the, all the indies and you know it wasn't like a branded event. It was it was just you know cider makers and I mean at that dinner we went to on Wednesday night. In addition to the women cider makers, you said that there were experts there like John Bunker, and then I know that um, William Grote of New Salem Cider. They were all sitting at tables around us. Uh, a woman, um, Rosia, from Nor the Northman Cider Bars in, in Chicago was with us, and Chris Kazak's the cider maker at Eden. Um, it was really neat. You know, you don't get too many industries like that where you have the actual owners or cider makers s s dining with everyone else. Um, so that, that there's a special feeling to it. I want to get to your Pomo, too, because, I, I you know, let's say I tasted from your dry to through your Baldwin, um, the Petnat and the 11% floor. I keep calling 11% floor because um, I do like it that much. But then there's the Pomo. Um, and I did I did buy a bottle and, and took it home with me. Tell us about Pomo. I mean, I know it because I'll say in 2009, when I was before I got into cider, there was a Pomo from France named Domaine Dupont. And through one of my beer importers, I, I always had some. Um, we actually would use it as a goodbye drink. We would we would keep a cask of it on the bar and get, give taste to good customers as they left. Um, how did how did it go from getting Pomo from France to having Pomo from the Connecticut Valley in Massachusetts? And how do you make it? Well, I've always loved French ciders, and uh, I have. Um... Uh, often look, looked to French French styles and French uh, methods for, for making some of my ciders, and Pomo uh, is something that they make in France um, uh, that uh, nobody really makes it anywhere else. There's not really an, an English tradition of a of a drink like that, or a, a German tradition, or a Spanish tradition. Just thinking of some of the other big cider producing areas. The idea of, of Pamo is um, at its simplest, it's apple juice preserved in apple brandy. Uh, it's a blend of fresh, fresh apple juice, preferably from cider apples, which means apples that have a, a little bit of bitterness, uh, some, some tannins, some structured uh, some structured taste to it. So uh, apple juice that's that's made out of these uh, apples. And then uh, most in France, most cider makers make um, Calvados or make a, what's called Calvados in France. It's a, a apple brandy. Uh, most cider in France is just a uh, is just something that's that's on the way to becoming brandy. 
So the ba the base. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the it's the it's the base for brandy. So virtually everybody who who makes cider makes makes brandy, makes uh, Calvados, and Calvados is really the bigger um, uh, pr product in, in France. So Calvados apple brandy, it's just it's distilled cider, um, and. Uh, we have a, a, a local distiller here, Jerry Friedman at, uh, at Beaver Pond Distillery. He distills our, our cider, and um, uh, we uh, uh, every fall we take some of our uh, apple juice from our heirloom apples and and blend it with the with the apple brandy that Jerry makes for us, and we put it in a bourbon barrel and age it for another 18 months to two years in, in a bourbon barrel. So you get a drink that has wonderful multiple layers of flavor from, from the fresh juice and from the, uh, from the apple brandy, which itself has been aged for a couple of years in an oak barrel. Uh, and uh, you get the layers of the uh, uh, of the oak from the uh, from the bourbon barrel, which is a highly charred um, American barrel, and that uh, charring of the American oak, which has a naturally it's sweeter than than French oak, and it has a more caramel kind of flavor to it. So the pommel has layers of flavor that sometimes remind me of of, of chocolate, even of dark chocolate and caramel and um um but uh, over it all you get the uh, get the um uh, a layer of uh, acidity also so it's um it, it's a it's a wonderful thing it's a natural uh, outgrowth of of uh, of cider making and i it's funny when uh, when we first uh, started making it when i first started talking to jerry about it uh, at Jerry at Beaver Pond, uh, I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to make this uh, pommel. It's going to be a couple of years before it's ready, but I think it's going to be terrific. Jerry just said, how's it? Nobody knows about pommel. Nobody's ever going to buy that. Well, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> you know, I, I said, well, I, I don't know. It's just, it's what I want to do. It's what I, what I want to make. So uh, it's turned out to be, to be very popular the uh, the pomo that you have, um, Jimmy, is the uh, I, I think that's the third that's the third third year that that we've that we've come out with it. It's always very popular. We always sell out. Um, so uh, I th it's also I think it's becoming uh, almost sort of a, a, another typical New England thing, and I'll. Our New England pomo is different than the French pomo. We make it um, so. Uh, I'm going to digress slightly here, but no, we this also, is great. How is it different? Because so, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, our, uh, us New England cider makers, a uh, 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 number of us, make ice cider, which is something we haven't talked about yet, but. Um, uh, have you had our our ice cider, Jimmy? I have, and and um, we we've done shows about different ice ciders. Um, we've had, I know I've had Headwaters ice cider, yours, 
um, Eleanor Edens, of course, and a couple of New York ones. Yes. So yeah, we make ice cider here in New it's, England. It's, that's yeah. that's the the showpiece one, right? Yeah, it's something everyone loves, and uh, it, people kind of get it right away. Yes. Yes. So um, we we uh, those of us who make uh, pomo style drink in in New England, we we. We usually put a little bit of ice cider into it, and it it actually sweetens and thickens it up, uh, makes it a little bit more unctuous than the than the French pommeau, and um, uh, I think it ends up being something even uh, a little bit different. And you know, we really shouldn't uh, we really shouldn't call it pommeau. I think it's different enough. That uh, that uh, we we should have a, a different name for it. And after all, the French—that's what the French call it, Pomo. It's it's a name like uh, Champagne or like Calvados. It's not 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 really fair for for us to just steal that uh, steal that name. I think the 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 name of, of Pomo is is what we now call Pomo is is going to change uh, over the over the next few years. I think here in New England. We're going to have our own um, our, our our own terminology for it and uh, our own way of making it. Well, that that's a thanks for the insight because I'll I'll keep following it and which means I'll keep having to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we won't call it from what we'll call what do we call it harvest something. <laughs> well, uh, well, we've got uh, when 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 we get together with. Uh, uh, like with uh, people you mentioned, Eleanor and 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 Peter and um, uh, other people, uh, uh, Jonathan Carr, uh, those of us who who make pomo and make ice cider, we're we're kicking around a, a bunch of names. Uh, yeah, and even with uh, as you mentioned, a Ambrosia uh, Borowski, um, we're 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 looking for a name. We're looking for another name. Well, that's great. We're, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll probably leave it at that and just mm -hmm. let people think about it because um, could do a name competition. That would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess it takes. I guess after a while too, it's it's hard to explain to people what Pomo is, and if yours is slightly different, um, that's good. W one last thing, um, you know, I don't want to get too into goals. I'm I'm glad you like kind of said more about the indies and the 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 small farms uh of of new england um i didn't want to go to fire blight but you, you you did talk about it before the show what's the challenge for the growers of new england and i want to give a shout out to benjamin watson who would have been on the show but he has an internet issue where he is in the country um, so we didn't, we would have talked more about growing apples, but I'm glad we got to talk with Steve Garwood of Ragged Hill Cider in West Brookfield, Massachusetts. Um, so fire blight, just a quick one-on-one, what's fire blight, Steve, and, and why is it a problem for you guys? Well, um, fire blight is, uh, uh, it, it's a terrible disease. Uh, apple trees are, are susceptible to it. Also, quince trees and the other other kinds of trees that are related. Um, it, it 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 didn't used to be such a problem. 
uh, but it's uh, it's becoming a problem with uh, with the changing climate here in New England. It's a problem as the weather, as the spring weather is becoming warmer. Um, without getting too deep in, into the weeds, fire blight, it, it's a bacteria, and it, uh, it, it, it attacks the tree when the blossoms are open and when there's warm, wet weather while the blossoms are open in the tree. And it, it, it gets into the tissues of the tree through the, through the open blossom. So what's happening in, in New England is that the, the weather is becoming warmer and wetter at the time that the trees are blooming. And that's causing fire blight to, to be on the, on the increase. So in, uh, the, there's an added problem with the apples that, that, uh, that, that we like, those of us who, who make fine cider, they tend to be late blooming. They're, they're late harvesting and they're, and they're late blooming. They're the apples that we harvest in in late October or early November, and they bloom later than um, uh, than your regular eating apples like Macintosh and and Honeycrisp. So the fire blight conditions are are even worse when these apples are are blooming. So it's becoming a problem, especially for uh, for cider makers and the uh, the fire blight is is moving northward with the uh, with the warming climate, and um, it's uh, it, it's it, it's just a big it's a big problem. So it's 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 not easy. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I just want to thank you, Steve, for uh, taking the time with me. I just wanted to give a little spotlight of of what does happen at Franklin County Cider Days in Massachusetts, why it's so great, all the great independent producers and cider makers and, and and enthusiasts that are there one shout out there, there there's a we talk about english knowing their cider uh at the dinner table with me on saturday night there was a man who was born in england um and had always had a taste for good ciders uh he's been he'd been going to the saturday's event for over 11 years so um, it's pretty neat that it brings so many people together in, in the way that it did. And I'm going to leave it at that because um, we'll, we have many more shows to do about cider and events and cider feasts and all that. But Steve, thank you so much for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our engineer, Armin Spengen. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.